0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Ephesians chapter 1. Tonight we're going to continue our series talking about Reformed theology, some of the doctrines that have, I think, been abused uh, with Reformed uh, covenant theology. We want to look at one of those doctrines tonight. My purpose with this series is not to uh, be controversial. I don't like controversy. Uh, but when you preach the Word of God, uh, you do rub against the grain of accepted thought sometimes, or even things that believers are tempted to stay away from because others have made a doctrine controversial. But the Bible tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is all what? It's all profitable. And so tonight, and I know I'll get your attention with it. To, with this. We're going to look at the doctrine of election for a short while. I, I See, I've got your attention. I, I knew it. The danger any time a preacher preaches about election is not, the danger is, is not always what he's going to say. It's what everybody's hoping he won't say. Uh, I have preached on this before and had people come talk to me. And I've had to say, Are you concerned about what I said or what you thought you heard me say? What did I say? I want to be very careful tonight to only say what the Scripture says. All right? And so you're in Ephesians chapter 1. I want to begin in verse 3. And you're going to be able to keep up with this with the PowerPoint. Uh, but verses 3 to 14 make up the longest sentence in the Bible. In the Greek language, it is literally one sentence. All right? And so look at verse 3. And I want to uh, just follow along as I read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, comma, see, I told you this was a long sentence, You don't want to just pass over that. Understand that everything that is happening in the church, in your life, God is working out according to the purpose of His will. And by the way, He didn't say that He was going to explain to me all the purpose of His will. But I can be settled in the fact that's exactly what He's doing Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom also ye, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Period. Wow. Now, the Apostle Paul was speaking this under inspiration. So, while he was sharing, really just letting his heart pour out as he meditated on what God is doing through the church for His glory, of course, the Holy Spirit was enabling him to say exactly what the Lord wants us to see here. But there were some themes. Grace. God's determined will. All that happens in these verses. And so it declares the mystery of what God is doing in the church through his son for his own glory. And that's Mark Minnick's summation uh, in a message that he preached a number of years ago. Glory to God through the church. Uh, In the future, Lord willing, we'll be able to just do a study right through this Wonderful letter. But it's, it's uh, amazing the insights that the Lord gave the Apostle Paul as he talks about, gives us an opportunity to look into the determined purposes of God. Now, some of the things I'm going to share tonight, uh, you'll find in Jim Berg's book, Created for His Glory. Was, he's actually written two books, changed into his image. Some of you have read that one. And then uh, the other book, Created for His Glory, God's Purpose for Redeeming Your Life. Berg makes this statement in one of the chapters in that book on election. And I I want to share this with you. God has chosen to call his elect to salvation through the evangelizing work of someone who will tell them the gospel one of the problems with the doctrine of election is people try to bring logic to the infinite workings of God the problem is our logic cannot compare with the way he thinks his ways are above our ways and the scripture says our past finding out unless he chooses to reveal those mysteries in his word, all right? And so when we study the scripture, when we study what our responsibility is to give the gospel to every creature, Berg goes on, God himself says, if there is no one to tell them, the lost, they cannot call on him and therefore cannot be saved. Romans 10, 14, and 15 the issue seems pretty clear. We have a responsibility to evangelize while God has assumed the responsibility to be at work in the hearts of the lost. So stop for a moment. This whole notion that we don't have to do what God's told us to do because the elect are out there and they're going to get saved anyway. That is not what God said. How shall they believe if they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a proclaimer? Well, I don't need to be a proclaimer. You know, none of us need to be proclaimers. They're just automatically going to get saved because they're elect. That is unscriptural. The problem is people who think they're smart, and sometimes they are, Will take that logic to the Word of God and they'll proclaim things, even from pulpits and churches, that are deadening and wrong. And so it's important that we see what this doctrine of election is about. And so, what has God been doing? What has He been doing? Well, when we think about election, Ephesians 1 4 says that the Father did. Choose us. Before we go any farther, is that something you and I should thank God for? Okay, amen. Hold on to your hats. How many of us have actually thanked God for that? Mm. Mike Asher is elect. I'm going to thank God forever for that. But was there anything electable about this? No. Now you were pretty quick to say no when I pointed at me out. Now, now come on now. All right. No. That is in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. God didn't look down and go, wow. He looked down and he went, wow. That needs saving. But when he looked down, he said that and thought that about the whole world. All right. So Ephesians 1 4 says that he chose us. Repeatedly, the apostles called the body of Christ the elect. Let me give you some examples Romans 8 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, in other words, in your innermost being, be merciful, kind, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God. God's elect. Does it just automatically happen? No. The faith. You're saved by grace through what, folks? All of us? All the elect? Through faith. The faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. First Peter 1, 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. So when we think about election, over 51 times in the New Testament the word elect is used in one form or another to show that God chooses men and women both for salvation and for service. Now, let's just set the salvation side apart for a moment. Do you believe that when God saved you, he elected you to have certain spiritual gifts so that you could carry out a specific function in the body of Christ? Yes or no? Do we have a problem with that? No. No. But it's the same God doing that work in us. Again, I didn't choose the pastoral gift. I got elected. Whatever it is that you do, you were chosen. And I marvel as a pastor, and I'm now privileged to pastor in a third church, at what God brings into a local assembly, those that he has chosen to carry out the work in that assembly so that as the body of Christ they can get his work done. It's amazing. But it's his doing. We should never separate, when the Lord said, I will build my church, don't ever separate that from the doctrine of election. He is building, as we've seen in these texts, calling out from the world those who would be his body, his bride. Therefore, the doctrine should not be ignored, but it should be embraced. So is every question about election answered in the Bible? What do you think? Okay, that that was too weak to make your pastor happy, all right? Is every question about election answered in the Bible? No. It's not. Okay. Let me use this example. We cannot explain the incarnation or the resurrection. How does God become flesh? Somebody help me. Okay, please, don't. Don't try. How can this flesh be resurrected. I mean these are we're talking about miracle stuff that only the God of heaven can do. He doesn't break a sweat. He, he doesn't he doesn't have to ponder this. He speaks the word. He decides it's done. All right? So when it comes to incarnation resurrection, we don't have explanations yet. Do we debate these? Not really. So also, election was given to teach us, not trouble us. Here's where the trouble comes in. People try to figure out God. I'm going to explain God. No, you're not. And so, uh, the kids tonight, the children helped us were reminding us about the doctrine of the Trinity. What a wonderful doctrine. But they didn't try to offer an explanation. They gave an explanation from what the Scripture says. That's all we've got, and it's all we need. Okay? And, and so whether it's incarnation, Trinity, these other truths, we accept them by faith, we rejoice in them, and, and God shows us, he reveals these mysteries to us To a point. But beyond that point, if I start saying things that God hasn't said, I'm in real trouble. And that's where we find ourselves with this doctrine of election. All right, but doesn't this doctrine make God unfair? See, that's really the question that it boils down to. If you let your mind run, God answers that question. Would you go with me to Romans? Go back to Romans chapter 9. And let's begin with verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? No, God forbid. God forbids you to think that. That's the idea here. All right. Now, our sense of justice, and all of us have it, our sense of justice is based on what God has made us, because he's made us in his image, and what he has taught us from the scripture. All of us have a sense of justice. Where do we get that? We get that from God. All right. So, God is righteous. Can he be unjust? Yes or no? No? Can God be unloving? God is love. He cannot be unloving. Can he be unkind? No. No. Therefore, whatever he is doing in election, whatever he is doing, cannot be contrary to his love or his justice. Well, if he elected some, that means he he elected to damn others, thank you, Calvin. But he didn't say that. Augustine, I'm sorry, I strongly disagree. He is not unrighteous. And oh, by the way, if you take that into the whole doctrine of salvation, what has he said? God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. But his long-suffering, oh, there's his his righteousness. There's his character. His long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that... All should come to repentance. There's God. And for you to take your logic outside of that, you offend God. He may be your God, but He's not this God. Why? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. So whatever he is doing in election is not contrary to his love for the world. He cannot deny himself. He will not deny who he is. So what does this doctrine teach us? What does it teach us? Who are those who are members of God's family were elected to be so? All right? means to, to choose. So Acts 18.10, Romans 10.14, 10, these texts that are at the bottom, I hope you'll write them somewhere in your Bible. This represents a progression that I think will help you to understand election. Paul begins his ministry in Corinth, and I referenced this in another message earlier. But he goes to Corinth, he sees the wickedness. At night he goes to sleep, and the Lord meets him in a dream. And here's what the Lord says to him, Acts 18.10. Paul, don't be afraid, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Now why would Paul be concerned about that? (laughs) Well, he's been up on the other end of the Aegean Sea, and up there, Uh, They're beating him and throwing him in prison and and running him out of town, Thessalonica, Berea, excuse me, all those places. But the Lord assures him, in this town, this wicked place, no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Remember what we, we learned. There had not been any other missionary there. Paul's the first one. So who are in the city? God has his own people there. Who are they? They're the elect. So the next morning, Paul gets up, packs his suitcase, heads out of town because they don't need me here. The elect are here. Oh, no, no. It energized his witness. God is going to save people in the city. I just need to to be faithful. I need to declare his truth, and I get to see people come to Christ. By the way, he's not walking the streets of of Corinth saying, Do you think you're elect? Hmm. I wonder, have you ever thought, Are you elect? And these lost people who would look at him like, What are you talking about? No, there are folks that need to repent, exercise repentance towards God and faith into Jesus Christ. Sovereign God allowed one of Paul's opponents, again, if you remember what happened in Corinth, instead of Paul getting beaten, the people that were stirring up trouble against Paul, the, the ringleader, he gets beaten in front of the judgment seat. So Paul got to stand aside and watch this happen. God kept his word, but God also began to save people in that city. Paul was not hurt. Many believed. Now, would the Corinthians have been saved without a witness? Yes or no? No. I have much people in this city. What was Paul's job? That's what God knew. What was Paul's job? Go tell. And so Romans ten fourteen again. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You and I are going to get to mix and mingle in heaven with Corinthian Christians. That's going to be so exciting. You're going to get to hear their testimonies. They're going to get to hear your testimony. But we all have the same testimony. Somebody gave us the gospel. Are we all elect up there? Oh, yeah. How do we get there? God so loved the world, and God graciously gave the gospel to me through someone's witness. All right. And then 2 Timothy 2, then, therefore... Paul said, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So I'm going to endure whatever I need to endure so that I can share the gospel with others so that when they believe on Christ, they can obtain the salvation that is in Christ alone. Now, if you connect those passages, you have the picture that I believe God would have us see when it comes to election. He knows his elect. But we endure all things to share the gospel that all who will come to Christ may obtain salvation through Christ for his eternal glory. So, what does this doctrine teach us? It ultimately comes down to this. Primarily, what God is doing, He is doing for His own glory. When it comes to election, that's God's business. And He is working to bring everything under His dominion so that in the ages to come, we will together give Him the glory due His name. That involves his determinate will that we know is election let me ask this can you explain creation God spoke there it was he said a word that was it wow Do you believe in creation? What is the result of creation? We're here and then God provided for a new creation. First, the regeneration that happens in the life of a sinner who comes to him by faith and then ultimately we will get to watch as he makes all things new. And we're going to be wild then too because we can't explain it. But who will be watching as he makes all things new? The elect. And just as we're not going to be able to watch as he creates all that new, we're not going to be able to stand in heaven and explain election. But it's the reality. And we have to accept the reality as being who God is. And we are the beneficiaries. And so election, let's review, is God's choosing before the foundation of the world. Wow. And let's just move on. Let God be true and every man a liar. God doesn't need my understanding or my approval. That's election. Predestination. So, he predestined, and that is why God chose us. Well, the answer is simple, to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might bring him glory. Now, foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is the basis for predestination and election. Some would say, well, God elected based on foreknowledge. He knew who would choose him. Stop. You still have to go to back to square one if you have a high view of God, and here's why. If God knew who would not choose him and he still created them, then you're back to, well, he created them because he was going to damn them someday. That's all logic, but that's not scripture. So don't go there. That's That's pride. Well, Uh, I've, I've figured this out. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Anytime we utter what God has not said, we're out of bounds. All right, so foreknowledge. Let's go back to it. The basis for predestination and election. Guess what? God has not told us why. God has mysteries and... Uh, I like what Leighton Talbert said in his book, Not by Chance. You need to read that book. But he takes the scripture and he helps us understand God has mysteries and he will forever have mysteries and he shares some of those mysteries because he wants you and I to understand here's where he is and here's where we are. Now parents, we get this, and I know my time is up. We get this. I remember when my kids... First grade, second grade. Why, Dad? Well, I know you're my child, and I know you're brilliant, but let me explain it to you. No. My dad would look at me and say, because I said so. He could have written it out. He could have explained the whole thing, and I still wouldn't get it. God does not have to explain himself. In fact, he's got mysteries, and the mysteries just remind us how great he is and how puny we are. And it's okay. Unless we've got a pride problem. God has secrets. We should not assume or pry. We believe and obey because God said it. And we obey when it comes to evangelism because he said the fields are white unto harvest. Let's close. So these secret things belong to God. No man can pry the information out of God until God is ready to to let us know it. Do I think there are some things in heaven where he's going to pull back the curtain and we're going to get To see more and have a greater understanding? Yes. Does he have to do that? Nope. If if he doesn't answer all of our questions, is he still worthy on on the fact you and I will be on our faces for much of eternity giving him worship? Is he still worthy of that? Absolutely. So God is a great enemy. Satan, who rejected his own election. Have you ever thought about the fact that all the angels, there was a time where they got to choose two? They got to express, God, we love you and we trust you. And a third of them rejected him. And they got to see heaven in person. And so... They've had their election time. God has fought to, or Satan has fought to discredit God's sovereignty ever since. God will be glorified in his ark, uh, in this uh, arch rebel, rival, Satan, and he'll be glorified over all mankind too. So, that's the doctrine of election. And I knew tonight, as we looked at this, I wasn't going to answer all your questions. That's not the point. The point is, we need to look at who our God is, know that he is sovereign, and that the judge of all the earth will do right because of his holy character. And in his holy character, he can only be loving. He does love the world. He loves those who will reject him. But my Bible tells me in the opening chapters of Romans that God gives everybody a chance to turn their hearts to Him so that they are without excuse. He's just. And so let's praise Him. Lord, thank You. I'm part of the elect. But Lord, I believe You said You want to save everybody. The fields are white, so help me to be faithful to You and trust You to do your part as God. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for truths that we confess are way beyond our comprehension. But they do exalt the greatness of our sovereign. And Lord, they humble us that the sovereign of the universe would reach down and save a poor, lost sinner like. So, Lord, use this truth to motivate us to be assured of our own security in Christ, but then to be willing to take the gospel to everyone who will listen, because anyone can believe and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening.